welcome to Baseball Bunch, the thing that we've done on occasion. I'm joined by Dan today. Dan's going to gloat about the Mets. I'm going to be annoying about the Yankees. And we're going to set some expectations on on what we think is going to happen this year. Um, This is my 10th straight year of being high on the Mets. And we'll see if it finally pays off. Dan, welcome. This is uh, my first year in uh, several where I am high on the Mets. And thanks for having me on the show, Tom. Uh, Looking forward to another good set of baseball bunch, which we did, I think, just about a year ago um, when we did the 2021 predictions where we all thought the Mets would be better. Um, And they they certainly were not. Um, But we have a lot to look forward to. 2022 is is decidedly different in pretty much every important way. All right. Well, as uh, John would say, I think this is going to be a good, good show. But for the Yankees, it was a bad, bad offseason. And if you're wondering why I look so disheveled outside of just existing in this world and having a job, um, it's also, I, I, I thought about shaving this morning. And this is my rant. I thought about shaving this morning to be like, oh, Yankee, clean cut. And I was like, you know what? They stink. And they had this really awful offseason that, that pissed me off. And don't worry, we're going to get into more nuanced stuff. But I want to whine like a baby first. We didn't get the big fish in the pond. We didn't get any names. We didn't bolster the rotation at all. The team is basically being told, hey, uh, good luck or something by Brian Cashman and ownership. And I, until recently, until looking at some stats from last year and kind of evolving my opinion, um, was I, I was like borderline, like this team might be 500, which for the Yankees is the equivalent of 60 wins, you know, uh, with, for the payroll that they have. But we're going to get more nuanced uh, because I looked up some stats. I will reveal to you in a second. Um And uh, they kind of changed my perception on the team and gave me a little bit more hope than I thought I would have on this. But Dan, what are your initial thoughts on the Yankees offseason? I mean, I think you put it very well in saying that where they needed to do multiple things, they, they really didn't do anything that materially changed the direction of the team and made the team like materially or like meaningfully better. Right. I mean, like, I think if you look at, you know, the big trade, the big transaction that's going to, you know, define the offseason for them, that I guess has defined it, right, was the deal for Kiner Falefa and Donaldson. And, like, I think it really says something that a lot of the fan base immediately looked at that and said, well, look at what the Twins did with what they got in that deal versus what the Yankees did, where they freed up $50 million in – uh, of, of an aging star in his mid thirties uh, to go after Correa, which the Yankees could have just done if they had had that cap space in, to begin with. Um, or if, and I yeah, guess that, if they were willing to spend the money, if they were willing to spend it, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is that apparently they are, but just not on him because they have to spend that money on Donaldson in the next mm-hmm. two years. I mean, it's 25 mil a year, just about. So that's like the thing that's most aggravating. I think if I was, if I was a Yankee fan, not even, not even like, you don't even have to be a Yankee fan to see that that's aggravating. Like you just have to be a baseball fan to follow that and just be like, what that made almost made no sense. I mean, Donaldson had a pretty good year, I think in, in 2021 from what I could 
what I can recall, but mm-hmm. um, and we can look up his stats too in a minute, but like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like you're, you're trading on net. You're getting an older player. Who's more expensive, more expensive or about the same that you'd get for a bona fide star in his prime, you know? And yeah. it just didn't seem like it made a ton of sense. The kind of left, could be promising. I mean, he had a pretty good year uh, on, uh, on my fantasy team, which obviously makes me an expert on Kiner Falefa. Mm-hmm. But um, outside of that, I mean, I, I just, I just don't see it. I mean, Correa is obviously an upgrade over Kiner Falefa. And, you know, I think what you do there is you work with Gio, you work with Glaber, uh, perhaps, and Glaber third base is really not his position, but uh, perhaps you work with Gio there where, you know, he's a serviceable third baseman as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, like, given that that was the really the big and the only, like material transaction for the Yankees over the off season. I, I don't, I don't love it. I mean, yeah. like, like, I don't love it. Like it's like, it's just someone who was expecting Cashman to make some bolder moves and do some retooling. I mean, obviously the other big one was, was the Rizzo deal, which I think made sense. Um, but I'd rather you get into the overview first and we can keep talking about it more sure. um, because we'll get to uh, the reasons why these moves are important or, you know, good or bad is really reflective, you know, based on uh, the overview of the team. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting. You know, you, you brought up, um, you know, the expectations going into this off season. It was a big shortstop class, you know, Seager and uh, Semyon being available and story. So that's the thing is, is shortstop's been a defensive hole for the Yankees. Um, and Connor Falefa addresses that. I will give them that. When the trade first happened, I was a little bit dismayed, mostly because trading Gary Sanchez, I was okay with. Trading him with no backup option and not getting a catcher in return freaked yeah. me out because I don't think Kyle Higashioka is a, um, a starting catcher in the MLB. I think he's a backup. But um, they get a guy named Wartvelt back, who's going to be their backup to start the year, who's also hurt. And they knew it when they traded for him. So very weird there. And it's um, also too, like, you know, one thing you could say that's a positive is that you offloaded Gary Sanchez, right? Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really a good stopgap option behind Sanchez besides, yeah. like you said, Gashioka is really more of a backup role. It's almost like the Mets counting on Tomas Nito to be the guy that catches Jacob DeGrom, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he'd be catching Garrett Cole. He'd be catching Severino if he comes back and he plays to his, you know, 2018, 2019 levels. I'm forgetting even which seasons he was injured, but mm-hmm. you know, 2017, 2018 levels, I should say, right? Like you're, you're really working with a limited amount of talent from what we've seen, you know, and mm-hmm. for a rotation that really could use that stability, some question marks for sure. I want to give a little bit of credit too, because I don't, every player has some sort of positive and Kyle Higashioka being the everyday catcher um, that could help a rotation that definitely needs it. Yeah. Um, defensively, Higashioka is miles ahead of Gary Sanchez. Yeah. Didn't have, doesn't have the same arm. So he's not going to like gun guys at second trying to steal, but you know, if, if it helps uh, some of the guys ERAs just cause um, or not even ERA, cause that's the earned runs, but just helping the Yankees limit bleeding. Cause last year they were, a very terrible, you know, fielding team. And at least I have hope now that they, that's the one thing, you know, if you weren't a big fan of this trade, you have to at least admit kind of at short is better than Glaber at short defensively for sure. It addresses that the Yankees only batted as a team 237 last year, which is 23rd in baseball. That's not good enough. They want to be more of a contact team and something that this offseason represents is them kind of leaning more into like analytics of like, kind of like just getting the ball in play and, and moving runners over. Um, 
with with a touch of offense because it's not like Judge or Gallo or Stanton. Um, you know, they they obviously are premier home run hitters. So they're trying to balance this analytics, um, you know, get guys on base type guys and the offensive just let me throw FU numbers uh, in terms of home runs and RBIs. Yeah, yeah. And this is why, you know, when, when we talked about doing this podcast, I, you know, I think you initially and I initially thought I was just going to rail the Yankees. Well, rail on the Yankees, but I, I'm a, I've come <laughs> You're back to do up to the Yankees, <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've uh, definitely come back from yeah. the ledge a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, Donaldson I think... yeah, is go. interesting. Donaldson as a defender um, is probably, you know, like it's, it's kind of a sidestep with geo. It, that's why I wasn't a big fan of that either. Cause it's like, Oh, you're taking on 50 million for a guy that's like equivalent defensively. Um, maybe a little bit better Donaldson, but the offense definitely a little bit uh, of a boost over geo. Um, but right. I'll go down the lineup now. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say before I go down the batting order? Um, no, I mean, I was also going to say the same thing about Donaldson where, you know, the silver lining of it, I guess, like you said, is that I think you definitely are getting that upgraded third over geo. I guess I just think that the more frustrating thing, in the long term, because I mean, like, if you look at, I say this because if you look at Donaldson's numbers, I just pulled them up again. I mean, 26 homers, 72 RBI in mm-hmm. 135 games. Not bad by yeah. any stretch of the, of the imagination. You probably would have hit 30 homers if he played it, if he played a full season, right? If he played close to 162, uh, he had a 247 average. So, like, maybe you want to see it a little bit higher, but he's he's more of a power hitter at, than anything else at this stage of the game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's so still better than the average on our team. <laughs> he's still better than the average on the team, and. I think, you know, the issue I just think is the price. And I think the issue, the more frustrating thing is the price and what the price means. Because what the price means is that Cashman and the Yankees have struggled to get a strategic direction going in light of what else is going on in the AL East, right? You have massive improvements made by Toronto. You have a perennial contender, top of the division in the Rays. The Red Sox have been fluctuating since the World Series win in 2018, but now they're very good again. And the Yankees have what could be a great lineup. It could be an okay lineup if people get hurt again, which you probably have to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just doesn't feel like enough. And it doesn't feel like there's a committed direction towards uh, investing in the team and doing that retool. You know, it didn't seem like it was a good retool where we're building for the future, but we're also getting better now. Right. It seems like we're not building for the future and we stayed roughly the same now because the Donaldson money could have been on Correa, who would have been an investment in the future without without doubt, uh, would have been a clear upgraded short. And then maybe you work on something at third base. You have Geo as a stopgap, and then maybe you get you work on getting a prospect. You work on a trade, mm-hmm. another trade, ideally. Um, yeah. So I think for me, like watching that, I just got frustrated because I felt like, like you said, what a tremendous shortstop class fills a need. Cashman doesn't act before the lockout, doesn't act after it. And where, where he does act is to just kind of, shuffle the deck a little bit shuffle the deck and really not put the yankees on a certain course right like you know uh the rest of the the al east really just got better um except it's funny because the rays didn't do anything but we just know they're gonna find a way because that's what they've been doing (laughs) yeah i should say that too yeah i mean the red sox and and obviously toronto with their flurry of of uh moves in the past few years i mean Mm -hmm. they're uh, I mean, they're my favorite to win the division, which we'll get to. But yeah, go go into the lineup, and we'll we'll sure. kind of just nitpick a bit then. So, um, I wrote it down on paper, as Red Letter Media would say, 
because I'm a boomer. Um, so we've got Rizzo leading. So this is from CBS Sports's like uh, prediction of what their roster is going to look like in the batting order. So don't yell at me, um, Dan, or the commenters. Um, the batting order, according to CBS, is going to be Rizzo, Judge, Gallo, Stanton, Donaldson, Hicks, Torres, Connor Falefa, Higashioka. And now I'm going to task you, Dan, as the Met fan, to pick a name out that didn't appear in that starting lineup where you're like, uh, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be Gallo at three, right? I mean, like... The- well, I, I mean a guy that isn't in that lineup right now. Oh, uh, I didn't hear LeMayhew, right? Yes. Yeah. LeMayhew okay. is in this weird role right now because I feel like the the Yanks got to figure out what they're doing with Glaber Torres. That's like the, the, the first thing because if Connor Falefa is going to play short every day, and it seems like he is because Torres is not good defensively over there, um, you know, you've given LeMayhew a lot of money to just be a utility guy. I kind of just want them to trade Glaber Torres and see if they can turn that into a, a, you know, a four or a five or a three rotation guy. But we'll see. I don't know if that value is there anymore from where it was a few years ago. Uh, maybe a team will be willing to um, take a chance on Torres because he's shown a lot of upside. But this lineup surprised me a little bit because uh, I talked about, um, you know, there's a couple of additions. Um, Kinder Falefa, I think I'm going to really like this guy. He puts bat on ball. He batted 271 last year. He would have led the Yankees in hits. Uh, He had eight homers, 53 ribbies. So, you know, he's not really bringing uh, like a slugging bat. He only slugged 357. Like that's a good idea. And uh, his on base was only 312, which was interesting for a guy that hits pretty well, but because it sounds like he's a really aggressive hitter and he like goes after uh, pitches early in the count, but I'm okay with that. That's kind of like, the Yankees have been a very patient team. They tend to do well in terms of walks. The on-base percentage for the beginning of the lineup is actually really good. Last year, the Yanks were ninth in on-base percentage. Um, so the Yankees rallies, it's funny because you expect them, they're the Bronx Bombers. They've got Judge, they've got Gallo, they have Stanton, they have Rizzo. They should just be slugging the ball. But the Yankees um, were 17th in slugging last year. They weren't a big home run hitting team. These are the stats I was telling you, like kind of changed my perception of what they are because last year, basically their rallies would start with walks and then home runs from some of the big guys. So for me, first of all, I want Stanton to bat three and Gallo to bat four because Stanton's Stanton batted 273 last year. That's awesome for him. If he's batting 273 again this year, he had 35 homers, 97 ribbies and a 273 average. Yes, I would like more at-bats for him, please. And uh, Talking Yanks talked about this, but he actually is better offensively when he's playing in the field, so not when he's DHing. So it's going to be interesting. Gallo, um, I wouldn't mind Gallo DHing. Gallo batted 199 last year and hit 38 homers. That's just funny. He is like the prototypical Yankee for this lineup. I was about to say, yeah, it's it's – with Gallo, I mean, I'm someone that always likes personally. I always like having hitters hit for average. I like having hitters hit north of 250 mm-hmm. um, in the lineup over north of 200 uh, would be nice for Gallo. Yeah, north of I mean, Gallo has to just get north of 200 apparently. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have a, he's a lefty, right? Like yeah. you obviously have like the big advantage in that right field porch at Yankee Stadium. It's very mm-hmm. friendly. 
But yeah, I mean, I kind of agree where I think like if Stanton can play every day, I mean, notwithstanding his um, more extensive injury history, uh, if he could play, if they could slot him into play and it has a correlation with him hitting better, I mean, I feel like that's something you have to do, right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. him and Judge are really going to be the foundations of this offense. Um, Although, like you said, Kiner Falefa and Donaldson could provide that extra pop that perhaps was missing a little bit with uh, with just Geo and Glaber, but I guess you have to just worry a little bit about the strikeout rate still with the team. I mean, because mm-hmm. like at the same time, like LeMahieu, his average dropped dramatically over the past two years, right? Yeah. He, he, and Donaldson's going to strike out, and he's going to strike out, and Gallo's going to strike out, and Rizzo, I think, is definitely another anchor for the offense. Um, so, like, I just, I, the pieces are here. It's just that it's like this weird situation where, not only because of the division they're in. Uh, and the amount of games they have to play against three really good teams, but Mm -hmm. also just like the streakiness of the Yankees. Like if they play at home versus where they play on the road, like I want to see what Gallo's numbers are like, which I'm sure we can pull them up. Gallo's numbers are like Yankee stadium versus Mm -hmm. um, I think where he played in, he was playing in Texas uh, for uh, before he was traded last year. Uh, I'd be curious to see how he does Yankee stadium versus road uh, parks uh, this year and just see like, is he getting a benefit in terms of home runs? Um, I think the biggest thing and the best thing for the lineup is to see him and Hicks improve their averages because mm-hmm. you're, even if you get them up to like 230, uh, it could be a dramatic increase in terms of the production they're going to get. I mean, Aaron Hicks is almost like the tax write off of this team. <laughs> it's like he's making a lot of money and making a lot of money, a lot. making a lot of money, not getting a lot out of it. And like you're operating at a loss. And so, like, uh, all, the, all the company owners are just going to deduct that. They're not going to make any attempts to, uh, to really put in a new prospect or like better it because he's kind of been a center field mainstay when he's been healthy for the past like mm-hmm. eight or nine years. So like, uh, it's, it's kind of just like that acceptable losses kind of thing where it's like, well, we have nothing better right now. Uh, Brett is gone. And, um, or is he, or is he? Yeah. I mean, I, I they actually signed that up this week. I, I'm, I haven't heard anything about him. So I'm assuming that he's done and like, but, but you know what I mean? Like Hicks is just, I don't think that in the George Steinbrenner era, Hicks would have been on this team. Um, I think well, like he, he was that. like, he needs to. So last year he barely played. He had, he batted 194 in very, very shortened. Um, like he barely had any at bats. Right. Um, he used to be like, they paid him for his defense. They paid him for um, the arm he had in the outfield. Right. Uh, when he doesn't provide that, He's kind of useless because his offense is kind of dried up. He's 33. Um, it's going to be interesting. They 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 have the situation where Judge played center a few times last year. And if Hicks gets hurt again, first of all, I think they like if Hicks is hurt and it's significant, yeah, hello, Brett Gardner again. But they also <laughs> signed um, – they traded for Tim LaCastro in the offseason – or last year. He's apparently incredibly fast. That I kind of like. I mean, your center fielder needs to be kind of nimble. Yankee corner outfielders are giants, regardless of if Gallo or Stanton's playing and, and judge obviously. Um, so that that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on Hicks. Um, if they don't get him the bounce back, look at the, I mean, listen to the, the splits in, in home runs from the top end of this line or just offense in general from the top end of the lineup. So one to five versus six to nine Rizzo last year, 22 homers, 61 RBIs, 248, 344, 440. So he gets on base still. He walks a lot. Judge, 39 homers, 98 uh, RBIs, 287 average, 373 on base. 
Gallo, 38 homers, 199 average. We talked about that. Stanton, we talked about. Donaldson, 26 homers, 72 ribbies, 247. Honestly, pretty good for a guy that's getting up there in age. And 352 on base. So the top of the lineup gets on base, can hit for power. Yeah. Um, That's great. The drop-off, Hicks batted 194, obviously played not a lot last year. Torres batted 259 with nine homers. This guy hit 30 a few years ago. I think the juice balls have something to do with that too. Um, Kiner Falefa, we already talked about 271 average. That's good. And he's here for that. He's not here for pop. Uh, Higashioka batted 181. That is my worry is that it's just the catching position is just not going to hit this year. It's it's just a dead zone. I'm telling you, it's going to be good defensively, (laughs) terrible offensively. So So like all of it is to say, really, like the offense is probably not going to be the concern. I mean, the concern like is really, which we hardly even touched on is, is probably going to just be the, the the health and the consistency of the rotation too. Mm. Um, That's a good segue because I have some stats. They're a little bit surprising. So I think we would agree. The Yankees barely did anything in the off season to their pitching core in general, like bullpen or starting. And, um, which there is are some stats. Again. There are some stats that it was very frustrating because I think I wonder. I feel like if the Yankees got Scherzer, I would expect them to still find a way to make the playoffs. Yeah, like there's that. It's that much on a knife's edge. You know, there, like you said, there's a lot of questions. The lineup, as CBS Sports has it, is very top heavy and then falls off drastically. And I think the Yankees have decided let's just get the back half of that lineup to hit for average as much as possible, add Kiner Falefa there. Don't ask Torres to hit a lot of home runs. Just ask him to get on. Um, The pitching, though, last year, where would you guess the Yankees ERA as a team was? Uh, Probably not top 10, probably top 15. Sixth. Really? Oh, wow. They had a 374 ERA as a team. Um, Their whip, uh, so allowing runners on base, where do you think they were? Um, top 10, sixth again. Okay. Um, and their bullpen ERA was fourth with a 358. I mean, uh, their whip was 121, by the way. But all good. that said, <laughs> all that said, I and I feel like you know, like just by your, your guess on the first one, and I probably would have guessed something similar for ERA. Um, you know, just not having been in the baseball mind recently and being busy. I, I forgot that their bullpen, which is not a bunch of like huge names, obviously Chapman's there and Chapman was decent last year. Um, they have Chad Green, who strikes out a lot of guys and gives them a lot of innings. Jonathan Loisica, Clay Holmes, uh, these names, uh, uh, Lucas Litge, uh, Wandy Peralta, these guys that you would never pick out of a crowd in terms of like, right. I don't know, their name, if you're even if you're a baseball fan. And they yeah. did it last year. And maybe I got to give Boone a little more credit than I usually do um, because the, I mean, the bullpen held up um, the rotation is the big question. So we'll go right to that. Cole uh, was a little bit off last year, but generally gave them about what they needed. And yeah. it's more, it's more so they don't have enough depth. Um, they do nothing to the, to the rotation. They, they lose Kluber, although they lost them the injury early last year. So they're used to playing without Kluber. Um, Montgomery is probably going to be asked to be the two to start the year. And it's a bit of an issue. He has a 383, uh, had a 383 ERA last year. That's actually not bad. And I'll take it. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know if that's two. That's more of like a mid part of the rotation, like a three, four. That's like I'm a, comfortable yeah. with him as that. That's like a three, four, but he needs to be a two because Severino is complete. His status is a complete question mark. Yes. And as we were saying before we got on or before we went live, Severino had a start pushed back today. I, I just basically, I hate that it's like this because he had such a great start to his career, but I just assume that he's not going to be a rotation guy, you know, for any significant stretch of this year. I just, you know, even once they get him back up to full speed, I feel like he's just going to get hurt again. That's just the way it is. And I feel like as the GM, Brian Cashman uh, really should have thought that way and not assumed that he could have been the two or three. Cause they're, and that's just the most frustrating thing too, because in the past we've talked about how Cashman was great at making contingency plans like three, four mm-hmm. years ago in like 2018 and 2019, where Cashman was making, um, I think in 2019, that was the year where a lot of, the starting lineup was out for mm-hmm. fairly significant periods. And yeah. they had guys like Mike Talkman come up. Yes. And hit. I think that's when we first saw Luke Voigt get mm-hmm. the scene with the Yankees. I, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think so. Cause then, yeah. Cause then in 2020, he was, he led the league in homers in the 60 game season. Yeah. Right. Like this was when these like, you know, Glaber really came of age, so to speak in 2019, mm-hmm. like going back uh, further DD. Cause I have to mention DD. Um, Miguel Andahar. Did he play that year? I forget uh, which, which year. Uh, 2019. I know. I think in 2018 he played, and in 2019 he was out. Yeah, he's been kind of down for a couple of years. He's still on the roster. He's listed yeah. as a bench player right now. Right, and it's like, but the point was like he had these the, this really solid depth, and it's just kind of like where I said it's back to like the write off philosophy of like, what is the direction of this team, right? Like mm-hmm. because, like you said, Kluber, you're you're done with, even though he was a, he was pretty good last year. Uh, Severino needs to be treated as a question mark for the sake mm-hmm. of. Uh, planning a rotation for a season. Uh, Montgomery is the de facto two. Uh, Nestor Cortez could be pretty good, but like, again, like it's a bit of an untested question mark. Yeah, you just never know. And, and it's just like that you're, you're ending up with a lot of contingencies and a lot of uh, if this goes right and if this goes right and if this goes right and if this goes right, we'll be good. Mm-hmm. Not even like, you know, stellar, not even like, you know, we, we can expect uh, 90 wins minimum. You know, like I used to think like that where, there was this when I was growing up and I used to just be like, well, you know, if Beltron's healthy all season and Laduca hits 315 again mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, we get a full season out of right and Delgado doesn't get hurt and he does what he's supposed to do. And like the bullpen's good yeah. and all the Perez pitches, you know, to a 330 ERA. And like all of a sudden there's like seven hypotheticals here that mm-hmm. like all have to be true for you to get to the playoffs. And yeah. like generally the best teams don't have those hypotheticals. They have one, maybe two. And it's like, everyone else is performing up to expectations. They're consistent. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the job of the GM is to have those contingencies thought of. I mean, Sandy Alderson as team president last year, but the Mets did a great job, you know, uh, outfitting the bench turns out it was very needed. Uh, mm-hmm. They weren't like the greatest players in the world to have, you know, playing a sustained period of time, but they were excellent bench stop gaps that ended up being just enough in, in the certain, you know, in, in mm-hmm. May and June where there were a lot of injuries. Cashman yeah. used to be good at that. That's why I'm like frustrated, you know, as, mm-hmm. as not even a Yankee fan, but just watching uh, the team kind of sputter in this like direction of you're doing some things right, but there's other obvious things that are just not being fixed. Yeah. And, like, it's creating other problems that will have to be dealt with. Whereas if there was a long, more of an eye to the longer term development, um, Cashman probably doesn't do the Donaldson deal. He probably mm-hmm. signs Correa, you know, and he probably goes after Rodon. And then if you have Correa and Rodon on this team, what kind of credibility does that give you? It's an instant boost for this season, right? I mean, like, yeah, 
like you really get it. That's like a difference maker right there. If you have those two, you get, you sign Rizzo again. I think the Yankees are a wild card team. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting because the, the depth argument, um, you know, this year it's going to be something that is not something the Yankees have done in a while, but they like, like you mentioned a few years ago, it was like these nice depth, like what looked like random trades. Who's this Didi Gregorius guy? Who's this Luke Voigt guy that we got for Chase and Shreve? Um, who's this Mike Talkman guy? Um, I think it shows the Cashman. I have to give him credit because I, I I am really hard on him, but he has an eye for, or, or he plus the scouting department have an eye for these guys that like are very underrated. They make a move and then they're great. Right. The interesting thing this year is if if they're not making these big moves, if they're not getting a story, a Seeger, um, a Rodone, a Scherzer. Um, in the pitching department, I think that shows at least actually in both uh, areas, because right now the rotation, I, I didn't mention the whole thing, but Cole, Montgomery, Severino, Tyone, Cortez, mm-hmm. um, they must trust the kids. Like I think the Yankees would go out and get guys if they didn't trust their kids. So right. at shortstop, it's interesting. I think overall the team has a two-year plan. And it's basically, they filled a couple of holes. Um, Donaldson is two years left. Uh, I believe Connor Falefa has two years left on his deal. Um, They signed Rizzo for two years. It's going to be very interesting. And and basically, catcher is a a dead hole waiting for Austin Wells, who's their top catching prospect. Um, That must, it, it puts a lot of pressure on somebody like Anthony Volpe, who's that top shortstop prospect for the Yankees. Um, But you know, does that show that they really, really believe in Anthony Volpe being as good as, you know, acquiring Correa now in, a, you know, in a few years um, in the rotation? You know, if you're assuming Severino is going to be hurt and we have Herman on the year uh, starting on the IL, um, Davey Garcia uh, yeah. is still only like 23 or something. Um, uh, Luis Heel and Clark Schmidt. These guys are maybe are, are you know with Severino being hurt, they're gonna get shots. Clark and Schmidt it, is such a Yankees name from like 1984, <laughs> like yeah. batting behind Mattingly, Clark Schmidt, cleanup uh-huh. hitter, something like that. Like it's like I mean, I know he's a, I think he's a reliever, right? Um, or well, he's, sure he, he was a he was a starting pitcher prospect, yeah. And the Yankees website depth chart lists him as a like a depth rotation guy, yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I, I think uh, – and Michael King is in that group too. It's going to be really interesting. Um, something that I – what's up? Might be a th- the two-year plan might be mm-hmm. might be what Cashman is angling for now that you, yeah. you, know, you kind of put the pieces together there. Like that, that is definitely something. It, it's something. Mm-hmm. It, it's some kind of committing to a course that's going to be, uh, you know, it gives Orient's fans a bit and gives them more of an idea of what to expect where it's like, all right – Maybe it's not as competitive this year. Maybe we do miss the playoffs by a couple of games, but mm-hmm. we're building back to allowing these prospects to get better, which in those years where you're out of it, that's really what you can ask for. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that is what it, uh, maybe that this is more of a retool than uh, we initially thought. Yeah. I, I so I'm basically um, giving Cashman a little bit more credit than I gave him because it's, it's not the typical way that the Yankees do it. The Yankees of old, would have put everything on the table for Matt Olson or, uh, you know, a bunch of the names I listed, Scherzer, um, yeah. Correa, 
uh, Freddie Freeman, maybe. Yeah, they, they didn't put everything on the table, but we certainly did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and um, it, that the what the Scherzer one definitely still annoys me because yeah. that, I, like I said, I think the Yankees could do enough this year to stay in it that they would be a Scherzer away, possibly um, in the rotation. I think from for sure. a playoff spot because you know they're with three playoff spots now. Um, you know the Yankees should be in it. I, ex- I mean, we'll talk about that, when we get to expectations, but yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to be bad. Of, no, definitely not bad. It's just that you're also in the poor luck of a um, of a really good rota- mm-hmm. uh, not rotation, sorry, really good division. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we should we should maybe pivot to the Mets a little bit now. Yes, Scherzer and mm-hmm. um, give us your spiel, Dan. What do you okay. think of the Mets? Wait, wait. First, I I want you to just like have fun with the fact that they went out and got names. Dan, I'm giving you permission to gloat. Have enjoy what they did the I, off season. It, it really okay. Look, I mean, I'm a Met fan, so I'm gonna, you know, 25 years of this is really helped temper your expectations to even when things look really, really good like a 2007 kind of situation where you lead the, mm-hmm. you know, you lead your division for 130 games. Um, and you think that the playoffs are all but certain you're about to repeat, you're about to uh, avenge 2006 and then you blow it in the last three weeks. That almost looks like what happened with 2021. That's almost what looks like what happened with 2019, right? That's what happened with 2016. Um, 2015 was a fun surprise year that I think will live on in memory for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but the past six years or so has really been about like this coming to terms with like, let's recapture that 2015 magic. Let's recapture that kind of run. And the fact is you can't recapture magic because magic is just, you know, Bullshit. it doesn't uh, yeah, exist. It doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm hard. sorry, kids. It's hard to put, you know, it's hard to give it, you know, I, I hate using terms like definition, the definition of this, but it's really hard to define magic and momentum and things like that in sports, because there's just this, you know, kind of ineffable feeling of it uh, and this kind of internal drive that like makes things happen in those kinds of special runs that you go on so Mm -hmm. that it's hard to reproduce that, you know, and the Mets kind of have those seasons where they dominate, you know, 1986, 1969, uh, 1999, 2000, 2006, where you really feel like you're on this current and there's more, uh, you know, there's a, you're part of something bigger than just the Mets. You're kind of part of this current of, of, um, momentum and uh success that has to drive them right like whereas like we haven't really had that since and i think a lot of what's happened since 2019 is that attempt to kind of get that back with some of the with same money players, with money <laughs> now with money with some of the same players and what it's done is that it, it's led us to just realize which i think is a good thing we needed to realize in 2021 into 2022 you know to start off with we had to realize that Noah and Conforto and uh, as, as integral as they were to our team in the mid 2010s, we're just not, just not getting it done for whichever reason, right? They're good players, but just with the two of them, you know, I just picked them because they're the two that didn't resign. It's, it's, it's better that they didn't resign in my opinion, you know, because I think we needed to kind of cut losses and acknowledge that they weren't, uh, as as good as as the fan base would have liked them to be, you know, we, we like that we acquire these guys in, in smart trades or in uh, developed into the farm system. We like that. Everybody does. But we kind of clung to that 
and kept getting disappointed when guys were hurt, when Conforto was predictably streaky, like he's been for the past five, six years, you know, when Syndergaard had a second Tommy John surgery, second, I forget, because he's been out so much, like, you know, these things that could have been predictable should have been predictable. Um, and having injuries uh, every year kind of derailing successful seasons. I mean, C. DeGrom last year, right? Like, as a Met fan, back to my original point, it's hard to not have your, you know, to, to get too excited and have uh, your, you know, expectations tempered a bit because the fact is stuff's going to happen. The Mets are going to be the Mets. But I will say something feels a little different about this year. Okay, that's good because I was going to say you're very bad at gloating. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm getting – that was a long roundabout way of saying that we can't recapture the magic and we have to stop trying to, and I think we finally did. We stopped trying and we just so said, we used okay. another M word. Yes, we used another M word, money and power and dirty money because it's Cohen's and it's great. Okay, so I think we finally stopped trying to chase the the magic of 2020 of 2015, excuse me. And in 2022, we're kind of embracing the idea that to win in the 2020s, it's going to take the other M word. It's going to take money and it's just going to take a lot of it and it's going to take roster stacking. And if you're not roster stacking, you're doing a, a mini retool or you're doing a full rebuild. And we can't afford to have another rebuild and we can't afford to have another retool because we spent that much money. Um, so I, I, I think for the Mets, the, the big takeaway before I get into the lineup is going to be as it almost always is. It's just going to be about health and consistency and staying on the field with the rotation and a little bit less so with the offense, but especially with the rotation you know, for all of the gloating and here's the temperament part for all the gloating about how awesome it is to have the richest owner in the sport who can just dump his money into the team for 20 years, operate at a loss and still have like $13 billion. It's great, but we did incur some risk. I mean, like the fact is Carrasco and Lindor have not worked out the way that we needed them to. Uh, although Lindor is absolutely tearing the shit out of the ball in uh, spring training, but he did that last year too. And then he had a, a very lukewarm season. Um, Carrasco pitched only six games this year, which no one was expecting. Everybody kept saying, well, when Carrasco gets back at like, you know, end of April and then like end of April came and it was, well, when he gets back in mid June and then like, that's going to be Severino. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we got August and we got the Mets were kind of, we're we're entering out of the playoff uh, race because we completely collapsed by early August. Um, and we got, uh, Carrasco getting a, uh, six ERA in six starts. Mm -hmm. Um, his ERA was six and his whip was like 1.4. And that's good. <laughs> yeah. We have to, it's good until you realize that his career whip is like 1.15. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, it's really like, it, that's, if you want temperament, that's it. Carrasco and Walker are two pieces of this team that absolutely have to be pretty good for this to kind of work. Now, you might raise a counter and say, well, wait a second, you have DeGrom, you have Scherzer, and you have Bassett, and that is all true, and that might be the best one, two, three in baseball, and I would put that up against any other team's one, two, three. However, we're looking at – yeah, Milwaukee, yeah, that's the other – well, yeah, you're right. Milwaukee's probably just as good, if not better. uh, Because Hard to say. They're they're both pretty stacked. Woodruff and Peralta, or you can flip Woodruff and Burns just the same way you can flip DeGrom and Scherzer. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. It's all about stacking the front end of that rotation. That works come playoff time. It does. And that's the thing that's encouraging is that if the Mets get in, I think they can go far, but DeGrom and Scherzer need to be healthy. 
and Carrasco needs to dramatically improve. And I feel very comfortable about this team. And I actually think if Carrasco gets there, uh, we could possibly win the division. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little bit off and that's more in the projections uh, section, but I guess to just kind of go through like the team overview, I mean, there's a lot of these things that in terms of like eliminating the contingencies that we mentioned, I mentioned a little bit earlier with the Yankees, the Mets did a pretty good job of eliminating contingencies, right? Like, you know, and I think I'm pretty satisfied in terms of uh, what we could have gotten out of the offensive additions. I mean, you have Starling Marte who immediately Mm -hmm. is going to hit towards 300, you know, you hope, um, which is something the Mets sorely needed after they got rid of Chili Davis, I still say is the worst decision they've made in a long time. Um, but that's besides the point. They, they Their other hitting coach was horrendous. Um, and Chili Davis was great at communicating with our younger players like McNeil, Smith, and Conforto, for example, all of whom experienced down years after he left last year. Mm. Uh, coincidence? Probably not. Eric Chavez has dumbed things down a little bit out of the analytics department, whereas we went from an extreme of – uh, you know, an overproduction of analytics information for, per the player reports from them disclosing to the media about what they found confusing and uh, not helpful from last year's presentations to now where Eric Chavez is speaking a lot more in terms of traditional baseball, uh, you know, perspective. And it's, it seems to be working for some guys and that's kind of what we need. So I think where you look at the Mets eliminating those contingencies, I mean, you have, other players, some veteran players coming over that are going to immediately lend some credibility to the lineup. I mean, we finally have a more or less a legitimate third baseman with Escobar, uh, which has been a hole for us for several years. Uh, you have a legitimate uh, outfield. You have a good veteran outfield with Marte and Canna and Nimmo. You can call a veteran, I think, at this point. And I think you have a great top of the lineup. I mean, with Nimmo and Marte hitting one or two, uh, respectively, or you can flip that. I mean, you're looking at a situation where Marte can get on uh, and immediately steal second and third. Uh, mm-hmm. Nimmo can walk, or he can he can knock him in. And let's say Nimmo. You mean walks, he'll run? Yeah, he walk. Yeah, runs. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you're immediately looking at a situation where you can call in a Lindor, or you can call in a McNeil. Uh, if McNeil kind of gets back up to his 300 level form, which is another big part of this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of in business because then you have the ideal power hitter in in Pete Alonso, who I think is going to have a tremendous year um, after you know, so many other Mets had a down year and Pete didn't, I think that speaks a lot to Pete's ability to kind of stick to his own routine and be consistent regardless of uh, what's around him, which is going to be important for this year because we have a new hitting coach again, Mm -hmm. Um, him, Escobar, uh, Smith and Canna. I I can't say I, I dislike that one, two, three, four. I mean, the thing is, there's kind of a question mark as to where McNeil will hit. I mean, you could say you could plug him in at three, you could plug him in at nine. I had him at nine earlier when I was making alternate lineups because ideally if he's hitting the bat, well, um, swinging the bat, well, sorry, I, I hitting the ball. Well, um, you're, you're looking at a situation where he could be hitting close to 300 and kind of help stacking the deck for Marte and Nemo behind him. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at giving Lindor and McNeil and uh, Alonzo uh, that many more RBI opportunities. And I really like that. I like that versatility to the Mets lineup. I like that you can slot Nimmo in in the one, two or the nine position, and you can really help get that back end um, consistency that they're looking for. Um, I can't say I have a lot of complaints about it. Would it have been nice to go for a Chris Bryant? Like I was saying over the off season. Yeah, obviously it would have, would it have put the Mets payroll at like a ridiculously high level, even more than it already is. Yeah. And like, we, we need that flexibility for when we have to extend certain guys like DeGrom next year. Uh, So I think that's probably why we didn't do it. But and I eventually, think other, uh, polar bear as well. Yeah. Event and eventually Pete. And 
I think the big thing too is just having Buck Walter come in and be a, I think an instant, you know, instantly gives some credibility to our, uh, our front office's um, strategic planning here, I think is important, right? Because He's a think, funny guy too. That's very and, important. And like, he's funny. And I think he's, he relates well to players and he relates well to the media and he kind of just enjoys the job. I mean, like earlier I was watching an interview with him where someone asked him, you know, they call you the best manager who's never won a world series. What do you think of that? And he just says, I don't think about that. He's like, or I try not to. He's like, I don't said, think that's- shut up, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gave a good answer. He just said, you know, it's not going to define me. He's like, I-, I love what I do. I have a blessed life kind of thing, so to speak. And uh, he left it at that. And he has a good, I think he has that kind of good attitude where um, he, obviously he's been through a tremendous amount of baseball, but also he has that eye towards um, he, ha- he has, he has a good perspective, I think on just, the problems that will arise and how to handle them. He doesn't seem like anything bothers him too much. You know, we don't have a Mickey Calloway situation where Mm -hmm. uh, he's taking, he's, you know, picking fights with the media and then like, you know, committing sexual harassment off camera. Uh, We don't have a Luis Rojas situation either where he's getting second guest and he's getting a little hot under the collar all the time. Uh, Yeah, He's our problem now. He's our third base coach. Yeah, He's your third base coach, you know, and I liked Luis. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I did. I just, I think we needed a veteran manager. And I think that with the Wilpons, we were never going to get that kind of spending there. Um, So I think like the lineup, I don't have as many issues with the key again is going to be, uh, I think three hitters. I think the key is going to be Lindor McNeil and Smith, right? Because uh, McNeil's average dropped from around three, uh, around 300. I think it was about three eleven in like 2020 or uh, I think he hit like three nineteen in 2019 to 251 in 2021. I mean, it's a dramatic drop. And so, mm-hmm. so did Lindor's. Lindor hit, I think, north of 270. And now he hit um, under 240 uh, in 2021. And we're dealing with a Mets lineup that in 2019 was a really good, that was the last really good offensive year for the team. Um, that was, that lineup was, was third in MLB, you know, and that's when we had our last winning season. It was mm-hmm. 86 wins. I just think that for this lineup to work, that has to be the priority in getting those players to kind of come back and uh, regress to the mean a little bit. I mean, it's a bit of a big assumption that not, not just one, not just two, but three players will be regressing to the mean. But I also think that with a kind of a reset at coaching, um, it's more possible than not. I mean, I don't think that, I think if we were to keep uh, hitting coaching, I think Mets fans would have rioted especially after we got Scherzer, because then we just say, well, great. Now we're not going to support Scherzer either. Um, but I think like that's going to be the most critical part of the Mets offense. Cause I think every other area of it in terms of the lineup is probably stable and consistent. Mm-hmm. Those three are going to be very important. I mean, you also have Davis who ended up having a pretty good year. He hit 285. Um, he had a really, you know, a good role for the Mets in 2019 where he, um, he was uh, a great bench bat. He hit like almost 400 at city field and over like 60 or 70 games. Um, they're trying to get him back to that form, but you know, 285 we'll take, right? Like we'll take oh, absolutely, that. Yeah. Comes in as a DH, right? We'll take that. We can take 285. I think you bench Robinson Cano for 162 games. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I yeah, think... I think he's going to be um, DHing yeah. a little bit maybe. 
yeah, probably not great in the field anymore. I would think his spring training is just, it's just been so, like, I think we just write that off and just say, see you later. Like, I think we just buy out his contract. I, I really just think at this point, that's what we do. And we just cut the losses. And I think, honestly, I really think that Steve Cohen would do it if we didn't have Jake's extension coming up mm-hmm. because like, we should just say, forget it. We're we'll, we'll pay you more right now to just quit baseball <laughs> or quit this team. Right. <laughs> You know, I know that we are obviously have budgeted for the next two years anyway, his contract, and that's probably why we're not disturbing it. But because mm-hmm. a buyout would probably require us to pay more up front, I'm assuming, and he doesn't want to do that. But yeah, like it, it, it's he's just been terrible, and there's just no spot for him on this team. Like, I think today Buck was like, let's try to slot him in at first to give him some, uh, no. give him more defensive versatility. And I'm no. just like, <laughs> What if, he's never like, played first in his life and he's like in his mid thirties. Like he's like 40 and he's playing first base for the first, like he's played about 20 games at first as a Mariner in like mm-hmm. 2018. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he did. I, I saw like Newsday reporter or something like that. Uh, no, New York post. Yeah. That, Cause that's what we need. We need someone that's played like less than 20 games there out of like thousands of games in his career. We need someone mm-hmm. like that playing first, a 40 year old. No, if we want versatility, I mean, there's, there's better options. I mean, McNeil already can play second or third or left field, you know, Smith mm-hmm. can play first or left field. Why not just slot Smith in his first baseman, put Pete in as the DH when he needs a break and keep that tandem going, uh, you know, make Smith the DH in the first base on a rotation basis, you know, make and do the same thing with Alonzo, but obviously start him more than not. Uh, and when D- and Smith doesn't start at first, make him the de facto DH. Um, I don't see why Cano has to slide into this at all other than money. Um, I think that's a a spot that you look at uh, as a potential uh, trade for the Mets close to the deadline. You know, I think they're going to give Pete a chance to work out the kinks defensively at first, because it seems like um, Pete's, you know, he seems like a really hardworking guy and that he's been working on uh, his defense in the off season. Um, So I think they're going to give him some time to, you know, play through it a little bit, see if he's gotten better. And I think even if he has gotten a little bit better at the deadline, you yeah. look for it, it doesn't even have to be a good offensive player. You look for just like a defensive first baseman, um, you know, with the DH, the Mets can can be a lot more, um, you know, they, they can play with their lineup a little bit more um, come come the, you know, the trade deadline. I don't know if the Yankees are out of it. Maybe they get Rizzo because Rizzo is pretty good <laughs> defensively. Um, maybe I, I just don't see the Mets going for or needing necessarily another bat this year. I mean, God Mm. willing, but I really think if they're going to make any moves at the deadline, it's going to be a rotation move Um, because I think that by then we're going to see if Carrasco is uh, upholding his end of the bargain or Mm. Walker is upholding his end of the bargain. Obviously Walker had a fantastic first half, but struggled a lot in the second half. And we thought that at the time, I remember we said that that might be due to injury. uh, Mm. Yeah. He had a weird year and he had a weird year where he was coming off of cancer, right? uh carrasco was walker was coming off of surgery sorry yes that's i meant uh carrasco walker i think we said uh for a lot of last year it might have been the the back half because he hadn't he had tommy john right yeah i think he had tommy john and so i think maybe that many innings in a couple of years yes so it was so maybe this year it'll be better like his arm just a little bit less uh or, or a little bit more mileage back on it um being i guess having last year as an experience Maybe it just perfectly works out that this year uh, the timing works out so that he is the four the whole year. Um, I I think um, I think he's the four, and it's going to be interesting if McGill and Peterson can can yes. win the five job. 
I was going to talk about that. I mean, it's it's funny to just say, like, in terms of the givens plus the contingency versus the contingencies, how little we've even talked about Jake and, and, and Max here because they're mm-hmm. just the givens. Um, they're the two best givens you could have in in, uh, in the entire world. Mm-hmm. But, and they fortified it with Bassett. And they fortified it with Bassett, which might prove to be the most important move they did make this year. I mean, post-Serzer. But um, that's Bassett, really – that's good insurance on one of those top great. two guys getting hurt. That's a great quintessential three. Like you talked about the quintessential three. It's a great quintessential three. I mean, like Jordan Montgomery can probably get there in a couple seasons, but I mean, Bassett was an all-star. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he had 314 ERA. It's just like, you know, you don't need him to have ace numbers, although that'd be great. But I just sometimes also think, what if we just got Syndergaard in the QO? It'd be so much fun to have Syndergaard. In hey, the I, I've been saying for a while, you know, it I'm not a big be. believer in the Angels. So maybe at the deadline, the Mets are uh, I'm thinking we maybe trade for him and we give up like maybe if they need the angels, I mean, hard to believe it because they have Otani and trout, but maybe if they need some kind of offensive help or some flexibility, we give them Davis or Smith um, yeah. because I like, mean, the, they still have Justin Upton roaming the outfield. So I think they could use yeah. somebody a little bit younger. Yeah. And like, I just think that the look for rotation help at the deadline as of right now, because I just think that, you know, assuming the lineup can stay healthy, which of course for us is always a big assumption. That's really where the, the holes are going to be. Um, Carrasco, well, I really think that the, the success of this year comes down to about five players. It's Lindor, McNeil, Smith, Carrasco, and Walker. And I think everybody else is, is relatively free of contingencies or they're minor or they're not foreseeable. You know, if someone really gets hurt, that doesn't have a history of getting hurt. It's not foreseeable, right? Like mm-hmm. things will happen, but on the whole, I mean, I'm happy with this team. The problem also is that we play in a hard division now again. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Philadelphia and Atlanta are both good teams. Obviously, Atlanta's the world champion, although I think they're – I wouldn't rate them quite as as high as I rate, you know, the Dodgers, for example, but uh, – or the, perhaps even the Giants. Um, but I think that I – th- I really think the Mets could be the first wildcard team. Um kind of like segueing into the projections. I really think that the Mets are probably like a 92 win team if things work out. And if things work out beyond expectations, probably like a 96 win team mm-hmm. um, or possibly higher. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I that's think perfect. So I was going to ask you yeah, what, yeah. so you've given me the win totals. I was going to ask. Um, so you yeah. think in the 92 to 96 range? I think probably 90 to 92 range. Okay. Uh, but I said 92. I, I'm going to say 92. I'm going to go with okay. 92 because I'm high on the Mets. That's my high number. Because I know <laughs> Me being high on the Mets happen. is a little different. <laughs> yeah, I know years. that shit is going to happen. And I know that someone's going to get hurt. Bassett, DeGrom, sure. Like I, someone is going to get hurt. And then we're going to get stuck with Carrasco uh, and Peterson, like as like the top of the rotation. And if that happens, forget it. We're back to 75 wins. But like, I think 92 wins is attainable. And I think that it's not unreasonable to think that that's enough to be a wildcard team, especially with the expanded mm-hmm. format. I really do. Yeah. If not being the top seed, you know, I think right now, I think the Mets, the Giants and the Phillies are probably the three best wildcard teams. The Brewers are right there. The Padres could be right there. Um, but whoever doesn't win the central, it's probably, you know, if it's Brewers or Cardinals, obviously whoever's not winning it, I'm assuming the Cardinals will probably edge out the Brewers, but that could change. The Cardinals kind of had a renaissance year for themselves last year too, after it looked like they might be done. Um, so we'll see, but mm-hmm. yeah, 92 wins. I think I, I would say 92 wins with potential for more, but these things have to work. We have to figure it out with those five players to watch mm-hmm. and see what they do. Now, if, if McNeil and Lindor are hitting less than 250 again in like May, it's going to reflect in the lineup 
we have more insurance, um, mm-hmm. but they're RBI guys for us. You know, they're uh, McNeil is an on base and an RBI guy for us. Lindor is an RBI guy for us. We need uh, that production in the middle of the lineup. And if we're not getting it, you know, Pete can't always do that. Escobar can't always do that. We're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. See, for me in the NL, uh, I have a bit of a different perspective because I think Milwaukee is going to run away with the Central. They might. Uh, I think, yeah. I, I'm really, really high on them. I don't know if I believe them in the playoffs because I have adopted this rule over the last few years to never believe in either Central division come playoff time um, because they, the last couple of years at least have gotten to just beat up on teams. And then you look at their record when you start making predictions for the playoffs and you go, Milwaukee won. How are you? Uh, the, 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 the um, White Sox won a hundred and something games. Oh wait, they just beat up on terrible teams the whole year. Yeah. I don't think oh, it's yeah. going to be as bad this year. Cause I think the competition is a little bit better, but yeah. I think the Mets, my expectations for the Mets 92 to 96 for me, um, I think they could win the division. I think they should. My expectation is they should be in the race for the division into the last week of the year. That should be like a battle uh, with the Braves, in my opinion, which is, I think, what most people are saying, at least for the East. And don't um, the Phillies, too. I mean, the Phillies, are they might have the strongest lineup in the East and probably one of the best in the NL. Their, their lineup might rival the Dodgers in terms of its potency. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have... Uh, you have the, probably the best, ca- one of the best catchers in the NL. I mean, Will Smith being the other, right? Real Muto, yeah. you know, and that's like a guy that hits like 270, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you have uh, Reese Hoskins, you have Didi, you have yeah. a really good outfield, probably the best outfield in. You got Castellanos. You have Castellanos. You have He's going to hit Harper. home runs during every major tragedy. For yeah. The rest and of time. you have Kyle Schwarber, who, you know, probably doesn't slot that well into the Mets lineup because we needed a few more guys that hit for average. But I did not want to see him go to Philly or a division rival, and he went mm-hmm. to Philly. So um, don't sleep on Philly. I mean, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are dangerous. Um, I think it all hinges on Aaron Nola. I think it's going to be fun to uh, see the Mets and Phillies rivalry get reignited again because, like, there's definitely some, like, bad blood. Like, we don't like Reese Hoskins. Yeah. Uh, he hates us. Who does? Uh, I mean, no one really does. Right. I mean, kind of, you know, uh, like he, he, he does this thing where like last season he had a couple of games at city where he'd Homer and he would like taking it like an obnoxiously long home run yeah. trout. Uh, and it's just really like, just leaves a bad taste in the mouth. So I'm thinking like, we're going to see a revival of that. And I think it's going to be fun because like the NL is better when the Mets and Phillies hate each other. Yeah. Um, that's like kind of our existing rivalry. Um, and it died out in the 2010s because well, we all, we both cooled off. And like, we were good when they were bad and they were good when we were bad. And it just didn't really, we weren't both good at the same time. Like we were yeah. in like 07 and 08. And it's and not like, as fun when you both suck. No, it's not. It's more like, you know, when the Yankees, like in the Red Sox in like the mid 2010s, it was just like, they didn't suck, but it was just like, what are we watching? Yeah. I, I think just the intensity <laughs> dropped off a little bit because I think maybe they just didn't want to like get back into punching Don Zimmer type, you know, <laughs> hitting a rod with pitches type stuff. Yeah. No, um, they don't. They don't want to uh, watch Pedro commit a felony. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted him to pull a Will. You know what? Maybe we'll get a Will Smith and Chris Rock this year. We'll have a, a Yankee player go to the mound real <laughs> yeah. slowly and slap him. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, so we're, for me. We're the Yankees. We're the Yankees uh, okay, yeah. Uh, for me, for the Yankees, it's really changed over the last week. You know, kind of basically everything I talked about, their pitching is a little bit better than I thought, although this year, like, it's going to take a breakout from Garcia, Heel, Schmidt, King, 
one of those guys is going to have to be a starting pitcher at some point this year, assuming Severino just, you know, is spotty. Um, I think that, you know, assuming Severino is good, which is a a big assumption. Yeah. What do you think the ceiling is for the team before you give your prediction? So if, okay. If Severino who has a career three forty three ERA when healthy. Yeah. Were to play full time and give us that. I would pick this team to be a wild card team. Um, probably not the top one. Um, probably in that two, three. Um, if they had Scherzer, uh, I would have them in that two, three. As it stands, uh, the AL is really good. Um, the Astros, people are forgetting because the Astros didn't really do anything in the offseason, but they are still a really good team. Really good. They have homegrown guys that have made up for losing Springer and Correa. Uh, Cole, uh, Tucker again, you know, like it, yeah. it's, I, I think they're my pick to win the AL. Um, although I think Houston, Toronto would be a fun ALCS. And I yeah. think I'm hoping for that because I think uh, watching Vlad Guerrero Jr. And the, the crew of young Toronto players taking on uh, Houston's players would be, would be a lot of fun for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing Toronto make the world series for the first time in like 30 years would be, would be very cool it is like almost i think that it's the 30th anniversary of when they won and mm-hmm. they won 92 and 93 i think they did i think so joe carter was the 93 year i think i think they were in it in both years yeah because 94 was the lockout yeah the phillies might have won in 92 i forget but i think they won both years i think Toronto i think because they, they had back to back i think the uh Blue yeah. Jays. so that was 30 years ago right yeah. like so like you have uh, you know, there's going to be some fun lineage there, some history that I think will maybe come back at Rogers Center, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, the other thing, too, is that the AL West uh, is definitely better. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, that's going to be a fun division to watch because now Seattle is awoken. I, I, I think, for me, I think I want Seattle to be a wild card team. Uh, I, I want them to kind of go on a run like they did last year, and I think they could do it. But it's going to be tough, given that Boston and Tampa are also going to be right on the heels of um, – of uh, Toronto or mm-hmm. Toronto is going to be on the heels of Tampa or yeah. on the heels of Boston. Right. So like safe to say, I think two out of the three from the AL are going to be in the AL East, whether that's, and that could be the Yankees too, but. Um, no, I, I agree. Definitely. I think yeah. the AL East is going to have three playoff teams at minimum. Like the yeah. AL East could run the whole wild card because um, though the twins got better for sure. Um, and they finesse the Yankees make no mistake. Um, you know, flipping, getting rid of $50 million um, from Josh Donaldson and then using it to pay Carlos Correa. That is uh, good stuff. Um, I, yeah. So for me, the Yankees, the real, the real expectation is um, I think they're going to be that fourth team that just misses the wild card uh, because I think it's going to be two AL East. And as of right now, I guess I'm giving the third to the, um, to Seattle? Yeah, um, I, I'm doing the same. I'm, I'm giving my third to the Seattle. I think it's going to be Toronto, Boston, and, and um, Seattle, or Tampa, Boston, and Seattle. And probably- you know what? I'm going to be a little bit bold. I'm going to make an on-air decision last minute. I'm going to pick the Yankees as the third wild card. All right. I no, very I, much it could happen. It could happen. I, yeah, I very much came back on them. Um, you know, looking at the lineup, looking at the averages, the on base. Um, it, it will come down to like, if they, if they find a way to acquire a starting pitcher at some point, 
if they make that trade, everybody's talking about possibly with the um, the A's to get either Frankie Montas or Sean Manea, then I really will yeah. start to think, again, I'm not going to get super hyped. I'm not expecting any playoff series wins, basically. I'm just, um, I feel like their upside is first round exit, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think anything above that would be a complete success of a season. I think, uh, honestly, a failure would just be not really competing for the wild card. I think for the Mets, because I know I know you asked about it before we went on, for the Mets, what a successful year would look like for us. I think you got to say a division series win, to be totally honest, mm-hmm. um, because I think that we have the, the tools to get through the wild card game with DeGrom. You have a yeah. one game, you know, like let's say we're the top wild card seed. So we play the one game playoff or whatever the format's going to be, because I actually am not even sure what now. Yeah, I think it's best of three now, um, I, which the Mets are built for. We're built for that. Yeah, exactly. One, two, three. Well, actually, maybe, maybe not even a one, two, three, maybe just a one, two, and then just, you know, pray to God that they, that we, the bullpen holds the win in the second game um, mm-hmm. or the first game. But I don't think you can make an excuse as to losing a wild card game with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer on your, yeah. on your team. I mean, I think in the in worst case scenario, you do what we just did this Sunday, which was you pitch DeGrom for six and Scherzer for three or five and four or something like that, and you just dominate them. And then you get like one or two runs to scrape across the plate and you call it a day. You know, How like, crazy would that like, be to watch in a wild card game? Like, that's what you're going to see. I'm telling you, if we're in the wild yeah. card. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Caution to the wind. You're going to see, I mean, it's a one game playoff. It's a game seven, right? So, and I think even then with the way you can structure rotation, having Bassett start game one of a DS, you could do worse, you know, oh, absolutely, like, yeah. you could totally do worse. And then from there, you know, with a couple of days rest, you start to Grom on four days rest or whatever it is after that. And then you got to deal with Bassett to Grom Scherzer, possibly Bassett again, and possibly, mm-hmm. you know, Scherzer to Grom again. And like, yeah. I, I don't think that you, with the rotation we have and the way that you've seen rotations constructed in the playoffs in the last four or five years with, you know, uh, opener game scheduled just to give the starters like a break from being ridiculous. Uh, like you'd you like to avoid that if you can. Yeah. And I mean, I unless think you're the race and then it works out. It always I works out for us. The problem with that is that we're probably going to be staring down like the Dodgers or we're going to be staring down. I mean, I think we can beat Milwaukee or we can beat St. Louis, but we're going I to want to see that Milwaukee game. pitching matchup. I would love to see a Mets Milwaukee matchup in, in like a DS format because that would be a lot of fun. There will be. Uh, four I wanted that last runs. year. I really did want that last year when I thought we had you know Syndergaard and Carrasco. We're going to come back. You know, like we there was a time where we thought that was going to be the ideal matchup last year, and it wasn't. I really think like you got to get to the NLCS. If you get in, you got to get to the NLCS. Mm-hmm. And I think from there, it's like all right, first time we're here in seven years, we can be happy. But then you know. There comes a point where it's like, oh, shit, this is for real. Like, you know, then usually that feeling hits when you get past the DS and you're in the NLCS and you're like, mm-hmm. all right, like now we have to, you know, every step you take suddenly is fraught with like second guessing and, uh, you know, decision making. But that for me, unfortunately, we've just upped the ante a lot. When you spend this kind of money and you get the kind of talent we brought in, it's up the ante. And I think uh it's probably got to be the NLCS for a successful year. Although don't get me wrong. I will be very happy with the competitive DS that we lose to like the Dodgers or something. Mm-hmm. We're back. Yeah. If right? you're losing to the Dodgers at any point, that's, it can't be a huge disappointment. Cause it's like, yeah, they're like a perfect baseball team. If you lose out to like Philadelphia, I will be pissed. Not only because it's Philly and I hate them, but like, because like, you know, that's a team we should, we should be beating. We should be, we should be out doing them. Scherzer and DeGrom is better than Noah and Wheeler. Mm-hmm. We should be. Okay, out doing- I've one more thing. Yeah. Um, 
just thought of this, wanted to add it in last minute. Um, your biggest uh, worry for the Mets and your pick for team MVP after all is said and done. Um, biggest worry I want to say is going to be um, just again, with the injuries and the consistency you get from the back end of the rotation. I mean, I think like we can't guarantee that Walker is going to be great. We can't guarantee Carrasco is going to be great. My worry is that uh, we don't, win games to Grom pitches or to Scherzer pitches that we should have. And then we squander that when we, we definitely don't win games that like Carrasco and Walker get exit in the third inning. And we have to, you know, pitch, uh, you know, Miguel Castro for three innings or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, we, uh, that's my fear that we're going to revert to the, you know, some of the same old shit you see from the Mets is yeah. going to be, you know, uh, we're not going to produce runs with the Grom or maybe we don't produce them with Scherzer now either. Um, and to top it off, we have players getting hurt. Uh, we have Carrasco being uh, kind of a trade bust because uh, mm-hmm. that's what it would be if he has a bad year. Uh, Cause there's only one year left on his deal after that. You know uh, it's, I mean, we're not going to resign a guy who's like 36 with a bad track record. Like, you know, this has to be a good year from him for this to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that, I mean, a lot's going to ride on those five guys. MVP. I'm going to make a kind of a bolder prediction here. Jeff McNeil regresses to mean he's the MVP. Okay. Because I think he's a big straw for the drink, so to speak, because like, I think like that guy hits like 300 and it transforms the lineup and what it can do. I, um, well, first of all, thank you for picking a non DeGrom or yeah. uh, Pete, because I feel like McNeil yeah. is definitely like a possible, like you're not being unrealistic. Like, I feel like if he has a great year, that is huge for them. It's huge. Um, I'm telling you, he's the, he's the change agent for mm-hmm. him or Lindor. But I think mostly because the two of them, if they hit better last year, I think, we're a winning team, first of all. And I think mm-hmm. we're, we have like probably 86 or 87 wins. Yeah. Um, my biggest worry for the Mets um, is I, I, I a little bit worried about the bullpen. I might want them to add an arm in the yeah. bullpen. Um, I I've seen out the last couple of years, they just added out I'm a little bit worried because he, he was a little bit shaky uh, with the Yanks and Sox. Um, but otherwise I really, I'm on board with you. I, like I said, I think the Mets are, yeah have to be a playoff team like that's the middle yeah, i think you have to and i think if you get in you know I, I, don't get me wrong as a fan i'm gonna be happy if we have a competitive ds if we get bounced in three games it's like what was all this for mm-hmm. but yeah if we can push it to five against a you know a dodgers team or like a braves team that's a reigning world champion i mean you know you can't you can't really you know be too upset but you want to make the cs and from there i mean you might be staring down la or you might be staring down you know st louis or milwaukee but you know, if you beat LA, you can beat anyone. So yeah. like, that's the good news. <laughs> if you beat yeah, them, And I think like, you know, you're downhill thinking, from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with your thinking that like, Hey, if you get to the uh, NLCS, that means you probably beat one of the Dodgers or the Braves. And if you do that, that mm-hmm. is a successful season. And then from there, you know, you're just, you know, you obviously hope that it continues, but that's already huge. I think if you beat LA, you're the NL champion. Um, like, preliminarily i think if like any team beats la in the ds i don't think there's any serious competition beyond that like if you're i mean maybe we're the alternative team that no one wants to face because we have the ridiculous one two three mm-hmm. uh, but the brave the brewers are also like that you know so like yeah. i think dodgers brewers and mets might be the three most dangerous nl teams in the playoffs if the brewers that. had a little bit more experience of winning in the playoffs I, they'd probably be my world series contender yeah. for the nl I, yeah. I just don't like picking a team that hasn't really won any playoff series recently but i think um, i think i want to see toronto in the world series 
I gotta be honest. I don't, that's but that's only. Yeah, good I, know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's better than Houston. I'll tell you that. I want to see the Yankees in the World Series. That'd be a real change of pace. Um, yeah. So uh, my, um, uh, what did I ask you? Biggest worry. My yeah. biggest worry is, uh, you know, the rotation. Pretty obviously, like, yeah. um, it's also an opportunity because if you have one of the young guys break out, even if you miss the playoffs, you've found, you know, you found something. So it's, it's my biggest worry, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, that could be, that could lead to something good next year, or the year after right. um, my team MVP that I expect. Um, I, I, it's, it's very difficult for me to go off the board. Um, like you did, you, you definitely had a better one. Cause for me, I mean, like, Maybe Stanton. Maybe I'll go with Stanton because Stanton last year, I mean, really judge. I mean, judge is the best player on the Yankees, but Stanton last year was stride for stride with him. Uh, Their numbers were really close. Uh, Judge usually has the edge in average, but it was closer than usual. Um, Stanton finally started to win over Yankee fans, which is a really tough thing to do. And so I am very much rooting for him. Um, yeah, he won me over. Honestly, I was always like, "Well, 2018 was great, but then it's just been a very inconsistent production." But I mean, he had a. I, I think you already had, he had two excellent years. I, I think mm-hmm. after two good years, I, I think you're in good graces. Yeah, yeah, he, he's been. I and also like showing up to like really big games down the stretch, helping them get into the playoffs last year after yeah. a bad start. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, that I, I don't know. There's some people that are just like Stanton haters, and I just. I feel like I was that for one year and I'm willing to change. I was a Josh Bailey hater. Yeah. Now I'm one again, but it took a lot of time. In between. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, that's, yeah. that's, that's it. Crap, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess you. I'll see you in another year. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is we, we're not actually friends. We don't even see each other. We just zoom once a year. And we only like, we don't even like hold, hold these accountable during the season to be like, wow, that was a horrible take. Like we just, we don't even look at the last one. I have no idea what I said in the last one. Well, uh, I I, I kind of did. And we, yeah. I think we talked about it a while ago, but you, you did a pretty good job. Um, you were lower You were lower on the Yankees, which was correct. You had oh, them at about where they were. I was too high on the Mets. That is the hill I always <laughs> die on. Yeah. And I'm possibly dying on that hill again because I have them as like a 95-game winner. I said we stopped – the fatal error was that we kept trying to recapture the magic with a team that was getting older, more injured, and less consistent. And now we've dropped that. We stopped fighting to do that, and we just brought in needed consistent pieces. Hmm. That's the difference. Well, Dan, thank yeah. you so much for, yeah. for joining us. From Mr. Belmont Bunch today, <laughs> I legally changed my name to Mr. Baseball Bunch. Um, thank you so much for watching. Uh, we will continue to have hockey stuff because I will make playoff predictions, even though the Islanders won't be there. Dan will be pleased to hear that. I'm I've been uh, let's just say the Rangers um, not quite the first round out that I thought recently, maybe. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Going to have a lot of content and um, that's, that's it. So thank you everyone for watching and we'll see you yeah. next time. Thanks guys. On baseball bunch. Yeah.